Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The other time... I I embarked to a um, trip in the north-west uh, England, really. Um, well, generally North England, trying to find um, some unknown recipes and foods from up there. Um, so I thought um, I'll uh, complement that with um, with some other stuff that um, I find very interesting, but from um, southwest Britain mainly. Uh, Cornwall, Devon, Somerset, Gloucester and so on. Um, there are some very tasty hams and cheeses and so forth from down there, which I would like to share with you. Of course, we all know about um, cheddar cheese, so I'm not going to concentrate on that, or clotted cream or, or double Gloucester cheese, for that matter. I, I would rather find some other stuff to talk about. But something like the, the Dorset Blue Vintages, and that's something that's worth uh, talking about because um, it's a very, very tasty cheese and you can find it easily at uh, cheesemongers and supermarkets across the country. And it's certainly one of the tastiest blue malt cheeses. This is made in um, Dorset and the word uh, Vini derives from an archaic word uh, vine new, which meant mold. It was in general use until the 16th century, but uh, subsequently has been confined only to the southwest dialect. This cheese um, has a blue mold and it's hard. It's made from skimmed cow's milk and made in cylinders of 1.35 to 2.3 kilograms and bigger ones of around 6 kilograms. The color is cream or yellow with fine blue-green veins. Uh, the flavor and the texture is strong, sharp uh, blue flavor. It has hard texture. It, it certainly was made in the 18th and 19th centuries as a cheese by the wives of dairymen using milk left after the cream had been removed for sale or for conversion into butter. Thus, it was always a very low-fat, rather hard cheese. Numerous recipes survive. The growth of blue mold in the cheese was regarded as a defining characteristic, and it was encouraged by various methods, including placing the cheeses in barns or harness rooms to mature. 
In the 20th century, several factors adversely affected production. The secure market for whole fresh milk provided by the milk marketing board. The invention of efficient mechanical devices for separating milk and cream, which left no residual fat, producing a very hard cheese. Limits on cheese makers imposed by the Ministry of Food during 1939-1945. Until 1970s, output remained low and the cheese was hard to find. A true blue vini is once again available commercially and thank the gods for that. Uh, the milk from the morning milking is skimmed by hand. Skimmed milk powder is added to adjust the fat content to make a cheese suitable for modern taste. Starter culture, rennet from vegetable sources and penicillin and penicillin mold are added. The curd is cut into two centimeter cubes and left overnight. Next day, the curd is drained, cut into blocks, milled, salted and packed into molds. These remain in warm dairy for five days. The cheeses are molded, spread with a paste of flour and blue mold and ripened for 10 weeks to five months, with spiking after one month to encourage the spread of mold through the cheese. Torsted Blue has been awarded Protected Geographical Indication, PGI. Another traditional um, food item is uh, the elver. This is young eels, about 4cm long, slender and thread-like. The color is, is transparent, pale amber. The flavor is mildly fishy. The history, behind, uh, the history behind this is that obviously eels were once a staple of fish day diet. Medieval uh, household accounts devote more entries to them than almost any other species of fish. Small wonder, therefore, that their fry should be esteemed as delicacies. The River Severn has long been noted for the vast numbers of velvers it attracts. In 1932, White states, Elvers in large baskets were being cried through the streets of Gloucester even after the First World War. The fish products of the Severn estuary were important regional symbols, whether the salmon, the Elvers or the lampreys. Elvers were caught from the Somerset levels up to the Severn as far north as Tewkesbury. Villages some way from the bank have memories of Elver cookery. Fitzgibbon, in 1972, records instructions for Elver pie as a sort of pasty from the village of Keensham, halfway between Bristol and Bath on the River Avon. Elvers have remained a popular food in the region, but they are now very expensive and much of the catch is exported, some going as stock for eel farms. Furthermore, a study undertaken by Brian Knights to investigate the declining catch of elvers from the Severn in 1980s concluded that, oceani that oceanic cycles have, have affected month numbers. There are several local methods for cooking elvers, including flouring and deep frying, and frying in bacon fat, then adding eggs to make a type of an omelette. Alternatively, they are steamed to make a loaf. There are elver eating contests in the villages on the lower reaches of the Severn on Easter Monday. During the season, between the spring tides of March and April, fresh elvers can be bought from local markets. With the declining stocks of fish globally, and especially, I don't know, I have a feeling that eels also suffer too, so I think generally 
lot of fish should be out of bounds, really. Okay, let's go to something closer to my heart. <laughs> well, closer to my interests, let's say. Um, something called bath chaps. Uh, the weight is about 400 to 600 grams, depending on the age and breed of the pig. A bath chap has the appearance of a cone cut in half vertically. The curved upper surface is covered with light brown or orange breadcrumbs. When cut, the chap is streaked in layers of pink, lean and white fat. The flavor is similar to English cooked hams of the York type. So what's the history behind uh, bath chap? Basically, bath chap is the cheek of a pig, boned, brined and cooked. Why this delicacy should be associated with the town of Bath is not clear, except that it lies in an area which has been a centre of bacon curing. Pig's cheeks have probably been cured and dried for as long as any other part of the animal. The word chap is simply a variant on chop, which in the 16th century meant the jaws and cheeks of an animal. These are probably what Mrs. Raffald in 1769 intended when she gave a recipe to salt chops with salt, saltpeter, bay salt and brown sugar. This called for the meat to be dried afterwards. It would be expected to keep for several months. A century later, Mrs. Beaton gave a method for drying and smoking pig's cheeks, observing that uh, a pig's cheek or bath chap will take about two hours after the water boils. Law's Grosser Manual, uh, around 1895, notes both upper and lower jaws were used, the lower, which was meatier and contained the tongue, selling at about twice the price of the upper. Several manufacturers are recorded, including Hillier's of Stroud and the Wiltshire Bacon Company, however today only two producers have been located. Bath chops are eaten at main meals, usually with mustard. They are sold already cooked. Bath chops are no longer dried, merely lightly brined. They are cut from the pig's heads, cleaned and boned. They are brined for a short time, after which they are cooked. Subsequently, they are pressed in a mold to give the cone shape. When cold and set, the chops are removed from the molds and dusted with crumbs. More uh, porky delights now. We have the bread and ham ham. Fortnum black ham, otherwise called. That's uh, an unsmoked cured ham uh, meant for cooking. The weight is about 14 kilograms. The outer skin is black and the fat is brown tinted. The flavor is delicate, sweet and mild. Uh, the history behind the bread and ham ham is that um, basically the bread and ham ham company of Wiltshire produced hams according to, the re to a recipe dated from 1781. The recipe is thought to be named from the last Lord Bradenham. It emanated from Bradenham in Buckinghamshire. The secret is the immersion in molasses and spices, resulting in a sweet-tasting meat. Recipes for the trickle-cured hams appeared in domestic cookery books at this time, and the developing West India trade provided molasses aplenty. The hams were hung and matured for a longer period than other, less exclusive products. The curing method and the trademark of a flying horse were the exclusive property of the Bredenham Ham Company, which was awarded a royal warrant in 1888. In 1897, the Wiltshire Bacon Company took over Bredenham Ham but continued to produce a Chippenham in Wiltshire. When the company closed in its turn, production was moved to Yorkshire. Similar recipes are used by other curers. Branham, 
by the wheelchair is one example. Technique. The legs cut from bacon pigs must carry a specified level of fat, otherwise they become dry. They are long cut, given a rounded shape. Curing begins in dry salt with saltpeter and sugar, but after an unspecified time, the hams are removed and placed in a marinade of molasses and spices, after which they are hung to mature. The process from fresh meat to fully mature ham takes five to six months. Brawn Small pieces of brine pork, usually from the head and shoulder, set in a jelly. In appearance, it is a translucent, pale golden brown, with pieces of pale meat and sometimes chopped herbs. The meat is brined and finely shredded for some versions, giving an opaque pink appearance. In the northeast, brawn is colored a bright orange red. Brawn should be highly flavored. Shades and black pepper are favored seasonings. One element of the history of brawn is constant right down to the present day, and this is not the composition of the dish itself, but the habit of serving it with mustard. Later recipes for brown sauce, made of mustard, sugar and vinegar, abound. Brown originally meant muscle or meat of any description. By the 15th century, the word was particularly, although not exclusively, associated with the flesh of wild boar. The Tudor physician Thomas Cogan stated that the flesh of wild swine was better for you than any tame animal and that brown, which is the flesh of a boar long fed in the sty, was difficult of digestion. He counseled that it should be eaten at the start of a meal, advice that seems to have been followed, even if unconsciously, unto the present day. O'Hara, May, 1977 Because the word applied exclusively to the flesh or muscle meat, it followed that Brown developed the restricted meaning of the bone flesh, fat and skin, as opposed to the whole joint, bone in. The way such a floppy joint was best dealt with was that it would be collared. It would be rolled up tight, wrapped in cloth and tied round, hence collared, with a tape or a string before boiling. Collaring was normally done to sides of pig rather than hams. In the 16th century accounts of Star Chamber, brawn appears almost monotonously as collars or rounds. Martha Bradley, 1756, has instructions on choosing brawn. Her definition of the word was meat that came from an uncastrated boar, not necessarily wild. The best was from a young animal. Old boar was too tough and the rind too thick, meat from a saw too soft. Her namesake, Richard Bradley, writing 20 years later, disagreed. His brawn was the colored flitches of an old boar. For the older he is, the more horny will, will the brawn be. He thought brawn rather insipid. Horny was probably a good thing. A collar was a convenient package that could be cooked and sliced. The method was also a way of preserving unwieldy and quickly spoiling food, in other words, pickling. Collard meats and fish were usually brined and spiced, boiled, pressed and sliced. Brown came to mean almost exclusively pork cooked in this manner. If the meat was pressed and cooled in its liquor, it would indeed begin to look like the jellied brown we have today. Whereas at the outset brown applied to most parts of the pig, apart from the valuable hams, by the 1800s, in the southern part of England, it had come to mean a dish based on pig's heads, colored. This appears under the title Tonbridge Brown in Eliza Acton, 1845. 
as the head was the boniest and least ventable part of the animal, it was a natural candidate for coloring and repackaging, leaving the rest of for bacon, ham or roasting joints. A dish that was also common in Georgian recipe books was mock prawn, a flank of pork rolled around morsels from calves' feet and pig's head, cooked, pressed and cooled. Gradually, it was relegated to a dish of the poor and country people who killed their own pigs. The dish was simplified with a highly seasoned molded meat jelly containing small pieces of pork. Pork cheese, once commonly termed head cheese, is a similar dish made from finely finely minced meat rather than chopped scraps. In some regions, especially the north, brown-type dishes are made from beef. Brown is still widely made and is profitable by product of pork butchery. It is a component of salad lunches and still eaten by, with mustard or strong condiments. Although it may be found in many parts of the country, it is most often sold in the southwest, where a number of relics of one's important industry survive, such as bath chaps, chitterlings and the like. So the meat for brown is usually pig's head, is cleaned thoroughly and brined for a few hours. It is boiled with seasonings, bones and feet until very well cooked. The mixture is strained, the meat picked off the bones and placed in molds, the stock reduced and poured over, and the whole allowed to set. Where a color is given to the brown, suppliers would once have offered Indian red coloring engine. Gloucestershire Old Spot Pig. This is one of my favorite term pork street to be honest and when whenever i find it uh, i get some it's uh, really really tasty and this was developed in response to farming conditions of the 1800s which uh, required a hardy animal that could flourish on a variety diet the severn valley in which the race evolved is a cheese and cider region and excess whey and windfall apples formed part of its diet as well as household and garden waste, sometimes referred to as an orchard pig because of where it prospered. As it is slower maturing than improved animals and um, a drive towards home production of bacon uh, in the 1930s uh, was driven by the the British government, um, that led to a decline in the number of old spots. Later, a trend towards linear meat was also works against its uh, favor. So breeders have eliminated all but uh, but a token spot on the actual uh, old spots pig. And in the 1970s, renewed interest in rare breeds led to conversion of breeding stocks and reintroduction of old strains to modern farming and the food chain. This has been quite successful with the Gloucester old spots. Nowadays, the pigs still use to forage apple and pear orchards by, by some farmers. Whey generated by West Country cheese making is also available. These are supplemented with grain-based rations. The pig may also be turned out to feed on residues of arable crops or on specially grown forage crops. It's still renowned as hardy, requiring minimal accommodation. The breed is slow to mature, reaching a weight for slaughter as pork at 18 to 22 weeks. Hogs pudding, a cooked pork and cereal sausage, about 3 cm diameter and of varying length. The color is grayish white or mottled pink 
and white. In some types, the cereal can be seen as a whole grain. The flavor is a bland combination of pork and cereal, overlaid by the spices favored by the maker. Some contain dried fruit. The first specific reference to hog's pudding in the Oxford English Dictionary is from the early 18th century. However, the word hog, used in, the, in English to mean a bacon pig since at least the 14th century, combined with recipes including spices and currants in savoury dish, suggests the tradition is far older, with roots in medieval practice. White puddings of cereal, spices and dried fruit were known in the 1500s and were probably made throughout southern England. Much, much later, Flora Thompson, 1939, describes how the country dwellers of Oxfordshire used the various parts of the pig when it was killed in the winter months. Hogs pudding bulked large. Recipes varied. Often they would have formerly included lights and spleen. Other emphasize the cereal content. A quotation from Hampshire describes it as the entrail of a pig stuffed with pudding composed of flour, currants and spice. A late Victorian recipe from Sussex describes hog's pudding as a small ball-like sausage stuffed with pork, flour, spices and currants. Modern puddings have evolved from these heavily cereal-based sweetest products. Although some containing fruit are still made, other examples are closer to a sausage, with groats, which is hulled crushed cereal grains, lean pork and savoury spices, especially black pepper. In the past they were used for any meal, but now tend to be served as breakfast. The customary method of reheating was in simmering water, but they can be baked, fried or grilled. Uh, the technique to make it is uh, the following. Groats are soaked and cooked until soft, then mixed with minced pork, dried fruit and seasonings. This is filled into white casings and tied in rings which are blanched in simmering water, just enough to cook the sausage through. Let's check this um, sweet recipe. Apple cake. Apple cake, sometimes called apple pudding and often given a country prefix, depending on the place of its making, is usually oblong or square, baked in a tray. Its flavor plays on sweet acid balance, which depends on the variety of apple used. Cooking apples give a moisture cake with an acid note. Dessert apples sweetener and more aromatic. Several modern recipes are found. They vary in concept. One from Cornwall is similar to a French tartatin. One from Cambridgeshire appears related to German Strossel. However, a distinctively English version does exist in the southwest, especially Dorset, Devon and Somerset. Here, raw apples are added to a plain cake at the outset, as if they were raisins or currants in a fruitcake. Apples have always been added to the various cakes and puddings in apple country, but little documentary evidence survives. An example is a farmhouse recipe from Somerset, one from Dorset, one of the most famous of all English tea cakes, is in Spicer, 1949. A modern collection asserts that Dorset apple cake is distinguished from others by being baked in separate tins before being sandwiched with butter. While popular in domestic circles and often made for sale in cafes, it can also be found in many craft bakers in the region. Apple cakes from the southwest have minor variations in detail, such as addition of dried fruit and candied peel in a recipe from Dorset. They call for apples, flour, butter and caster sugar, 
in the proportions 4211. Chemical leavening is used. The apples, sour cooking apples are generally required, although some prefer eating apples because they are drier, are peeled, cored and sliced into segments. The butter is rubbed into the flour until the mixture resembles fine breadcrumbs. The sugar is stirred in, followed by the sliced raw apple and dried fruit, and spices if required. The mixture is bound with egg and milk. It is scaled off into, a greased, into greased tins. It is scaled off into greased tins. The surface is leveled and sprinkled with granulated sugar. Baking takes one hour at 108 degrees Celsius. Blueberry pie, double crust fruit pie. Double crust pies made with short crust pastry and the fruit filling are distinctively British. Dimensions, flavor and appearance will depend entirely on the maker. Whether large or individual pies, cooked on a plate or in a deep dish, in foil casings and so on. A wide range of fruits may be used as fillings. The commonest are apple, alone or combined with spices, dried fruit or blackberries. Others, especially rhubarb, gooseberries, plums and cherries are used. In the north, this is sometimes made in a thinner version called the plate pie, or it may be made relatively deep and a third layer of pastry added between two fruit layers in the filling. Pies have long been a favorite dish in Britain. The word have been in the language since at least the start of the 14th century. There are many recipes and almost any edible item seems at one time or another to have been put between two layers of pastry and baked in the oven. Sweet fruit pies have been known since at least the 17th century, when Morel, in 1638, gave recipes for tarts of pippins, which is apples, flavored with spices, orange zest and rose water. Tarts of gooseberries or cherries are also cited. These were similar to modern pies, requiring a double crust with sugar scattered over the surface before baking. Fillings varied according to availability of fruit. Apples was probably the most popular. Cherries were used in Kent and Buckinghamshire. The blueberry pies are now available in Dorset, come within this genus of dishes, although their fruit filling is of a more recent tradition, imported in fact from the North America. Uh, the bilberry is a bush that grows on acid soils in Northern Europe. In Scotland, it is known as winberry because it grows amidst wind or gorse, or it's known as blyberry. And in Ireland and in Northeast England, it's also known as blyberry. Florence White records that bilberry pies in Yorkshire. Bilberries are available for anyone who cares to pick them in many heathland areas along the south coast, in Wales, the Pennines and in Scotland. Gathering bilberries from the wild is time-consuming and the preserve of the enthusiasts. Recently, interest in using them as a local specialty in hotels has been rekindled in mid-Wales. Short-crust pastry is prepared from flour and fat in the, in the ratio 2 to 1. Lard is the preferred fat, making a crispy pastry. A mixture of lard and butter is sometimes used to give more flavor whilst retaining the shortness. Fruit is prepared. A portion of pastry is rolled 5 mm thick and used to line the pie dish. The fruit, sugar and any other flavorings are placed in this. Another disc of pastry is used to cover the top and the edges are sealed. The top may be sugared or decorated. Pies are baked at 220 degrees Celsius for 10-15 minutes, then at 180 degrees for 30 minutes.
original Edgefond Chili Mustard. This grain mustard is dark yellow-orange with crushed yellow mustard seeds, visible, and specks of red and dark brown. Its taste is acid, mild mustard with powerful chili kick. Originally, all mustard must have been fairly coarsely ground. It was only in the early 1700s that the fine, sieved flour now thought of as an English mustard became widely known. During the late 60s, 1960s, there was a general revival of interest in early recipes and methods for producing various foods. This, combined with the desire to make an interesting condiment for meat, led to the invention in the 1970 by the Wiltshire Truckland Company of a whole grain chili spiced mustard called Archfront, originally made in Archfront, Wiltshire. It was the first whole grain mustard to be marketed in England for many years. Its success led to an expansion of the company's range and its emulation by other small and larger concerns. Technique Locally grown mustard seeds are used. They are blended, ground and mixed and left to stand in drums for up to 14 days. Depending on the weather, the colder it is, the longer the process takes. Ingredients Mustard, cider and wine vinegars, black peppercorns, allspice, chilies. And that's it for today. More on another day where we're going to see perhaps some interesting Welsh uh, product. Have a lovely evening. Bye. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 